Greetings and welcome to The House Podcast. My name is Michael and I'm so glad that you're here listening with us. The House Podcast shares the message each week from our local gathering in Central Ohio, which is a gathering of those practicing or interested in practicing the way of Jesus together in our city. In addition to the message given each week by the speaker, we also occasionally will share bonus content, such as interviews with speakers, more in-depth discussion around certain topics, and practical exercises that can help you grow as an apprentice of Jesus. The House Podcast is part of the VIA Podcast Network, which is a larger network of podcasts, all designed to help you and your community live out the way of Jesus in your context. For more information about The House or VIA, you can find us at theviacollective.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at thehouse.gathering. If you would like to contribute to The House financially, you can also do that at theviacollective.com. We're so glad you're here with us today, and may you be blessed by this week's message. Welcome to the house. So glad that you're here with us this evening. Um, my name's Michael, if you don't know me. Um, I'm one of the people that help lead the house, and so glad that you are here. Um, the house is kind of a community oriented around those who are following Jesus or interested in following Jesus and practicing his way of life. For the past almost two months, we've been in a series, Silence and Solitude, and then we had a break from that last week, and Pastor Tom came and shared about fear, and now we're back in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, If you don't know, all the way back in July, we started in the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Matthew is a fascinating book. Um, Matthew was a follower of Jesus, and the Gospel of Matthew is a manuscript we have from around 30 years after Jesus lived. And we actually have the most copies of Matthew of any book in the New Testament, and it was probably the most popular gospel, meaning it was the most popular account of who Jesus was. It was probably in all the house churches, it was quoted the most, and for the first several centuries, it was kind of the guide for discipleship. And Matthew was most likely the person who wrote it. Um, It's actually an anonymous text, so we don't really know, but Matthew was a follower of Jesus. And Matthew was a tax collector. Um, And as a tax collector, what that meant is he actually left kind of Judaism, betrayed his people, and worked for the Romans. Israel was occupied by Rome. Um, You might think of it as like Israel is a giant Indian reservation in the United States. They kind of were autonomous to a degree, but they had rulers. And Matthew agreed to be a tax collector for the people occupying his people. Matthew would have been hated, hated by people. And Matthew as a tax collector, would have been educated in Hebrew and Greek and would have been a smart young man. And one day, Matthew tells the story that Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, came up to his tax booth and actually asked him to follow him. Now, this was a kind of crazy thing. A rabbi in Jewish culture was like a celebrity guru. It was the best of the best that got to follow a rabbi. You had to make it through all the way, what we would say secondary school, master's degree. You would have had the whole Old Testament memorized. That's like this much of your Bible. Um, Memorized. And a rabbi would choose people he thought were spiritually kind of elite. 
And so Matthew was none of those things. Matthew was a dropout who sold out his people, who nobody liked. But Jesus came to his tax booth and he invited him, of all the people in the world, he invited him to follow Jesus. And what's crazy is Matthew actually took him up on that. He threw a big party. He invited all his tax collector buddies because the only buddies he had were tax collectors. And he left everything. He left his wealth. He left his friends. And he became a matates or disciple of Jesus. And Matthew actually would go on to die for Jesus. Um, we don't know exactly where. There's some different accounts, but most likely he was stoned or killed with a sword. But what we do know is that this, this man who betrayed his people and was redeemed by Jesus wrote an account of the life of Jesus. So here at the house, we're wrestling with what does it mean to follow Jesus? And Matthew's account of Jesus' life is kind of the authoritative place to start if you're interested in what does it mean to follow Jesus. Matthew kind of wrote about himself in Matthew 13. There's kind of this autobiographical hint he puts in his text. This is kind of what he says about himself. Jesus said, every scribe who's become a matates, that means a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom both new treasures and old. And Matthew here, he's the scribe. And he's putting together these collection of eyewitness testimonies and he's putting together these stories into this beautiful tapestry. And he's got some old treasures, things that you're probably familiar with. And then he has new treasure, treasures, layers and depth. And his goal is that you could believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that you would follow him. That's why he wrote his book. Um, when we started this series back in June, we started in the very beginning with a genealogy. And the very first line of Matthew is, the book of the new Genesis brought by Jesus Christ. That's how it's literally translated. And so Matthew says right from the beginning, this isn't just a story about who Jesus is. This is the story, the story of a new beginning a new Genesis brought about by Jesus Christ. Matthew's inviting us into a new creation. And he's going to make the case, in chapter 1, he makes the case that Jesus is actually qualified to be the Messiah. He has the right lineage. He came from the right people. All these Old Testament prophecies about him are true. In Matthew 2, which we kind of skipped over and we're going to go back to at Christmas time because it's the Christmas story, we kind of see that he was appointed, he was chosen. Dan preached on Joseph and Joseph's choice that he had, whether or not to marry Mary, whether or not to be the father of, of Jesus. And then Zach gave us kind of an overview of chapter 3, but we're going to dive into chapter 3 tonight and talk a little bit about John the Baptist because the story of Matthew doesn't really go the way you think it should go. There's kind of this twist that happens. So if you read Matthew 1 and 2, you would end up with the first couple years of Jesus' life, and he ends with Jesus in Nazareth as a boy. And then this weird thing happens. The next verse skips ahead 30 years. It's like a movie where you have your opening scene and then you have the 30 years later comes up. 
And so he jumps ahead 30 years later and he starts in a really weird place. But Matthew has a goal with this text. He's led us, the first two chapters are kind of the setup and now he's gonna make the case that Jesus is actually a new Moses. He's gonna kind of mirror the Jesus story with the Moses story. Jesus is gonna go into the waters of baptism. He's gonna come out. He's gonna go into the wilderness like the people of God went into the wilderness. And he's going to overcome the temptations in the wilderness. And then he's gonna come down from the mountain in the Sermon on the Mount and give a new teaching. Um, which is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So he's got this brilliant layout. And then the Gospel of Matthew is actually broken into five sections that mirror the first five books of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He mirrors the Torah. There's these layers to what Matthew's doing, and he's trying to show there's something different on the scene. There's a new humanity There's a new Moses, there's a new teaching. He has this theme that the old is gone and the new is here. And so we're gonna start right in Matthew 3. And in those days, 30 years later, John the Baptist. And this is a wild transition. We have Jesus, 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 and then he goes to John. And if you don't know, John was a local celebrity. He was super, super popular around the time of Jesus and he was actually Jesus's cousin. And John the Baptist, Baptist wasn't his last name, that wasn't a last name at the time, he was called that because he baptized people. The word baptismo means like to plunge. I really wish we translated John the plunger because that sounds really cool. (laughs) But we went with Baptist, I don't know why. But it means to like dunk into the water. It was usually used when we were like dyeing clothes. Like if you were to take a white sheet, put it in purple dye and take it out and now it's purple. That was what the word was used for in Greek. And so John the Baptist sort of steps into Matthew's story and John has a wild, wild backstory. And I want to read a little bit to you because I don't think we can understand what Matthew's doing until we understand who this guy was. And so tonight, we're going to dive into a little bit of context, a little bit of history, but I hope it brings the Bible to life for you. I hope it helps you read Matthew differently from here on out. And we're going to dive in to who is this John guy. And so the story of John actually starts a long time before John. In Malachi, which is the backstory or like the last kind of book of your Old Testament, we have this prophecy And the prophecy went something like this. I'm going to send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his people. And Malachi is actually quoting a prophet that was before Malachi, Isaiah. These words actually come from Isaiah 40. And so 500 years before John steps onto the scene, there's these words (coughs) spoken over his life. And I want to read a little bit of John's story. You might give me some water. Thanks, sir. John, we're going to go into Luke to read a little bit of John's story. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and his name was Elizabeth. 
Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting up in years. And one, and once, when he was serving as the high priest before God, his section was on duty, and he went in by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, and he entered the sanctuary of the Lord. Now at this time, incense and offering and the whole assembly of people were praying outside. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah saw him and was terrified, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He must never drink wine or strong drink, even before his birth, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he'll turn many people back to the Lord their God. And with the spirit and power of Elijah, he'll go before him and turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make the people ready for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, how do I know this is going to happen? For I'm an old man. And the angel replied, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you, to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. So the story of John is kind of a crazy story. Zechariah is a priest in Israel, and he goes in to the Holy of Holies on the Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, and he meets an angel, and the angel says to him, you're going to have a son, and he doesn't believe the angel. And now, a little backstory: For 400 years, there have been no prophets in Israel. They've been conquered by the Greeks, but no prophets came. About 60 years before this story, they were conquered by the Romans, but there was no prophets. This was known as the great silence. They had your Old Testament, and when we look at our Old Testament, we see where the end of the Old Testament is. But at that time, they didn't know the Old Testament was closed. They were waiting for the next prophet to write the next book. And so there was silence. Nobody heard for God for 400 years. That's like longer than America's been a country, not a single peep. Not a single peep. Where's God? And then Zechariah, God shows up to. And he gives him a word. And he doesn't believe it. And he's mute. The silence continues. So that's the backstory of John's birth. There's this prophecy over his life that he's maybe this promised one, not the Messiah, but the one that's going to prepare the way. But his father doesn't believe it and is muted until John is born. So that's who John was. And then we have this kind of word spoken over his life. The voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Those were the words prophesied over John's life. And so John grew up with these words reverberating in his soul. And John is actually going to be the one that shatters the silence. He's going to come as a voice out of the wilderness, and he's going to break 400 years of silence with a new word, with a fresh word 
for God's people. And so in Luke 1, we read the story, so we're going to pick up in Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. On the surface, this is like, yeah, this is everything he's been saying, but I want to add one more twist to this, because this is not at all what a Jew would have been expecting. See, John's dad was Zechariah. John's lineage was Aaron. He could have been high priest. He should have been in Jerusalem. He should have been in the cultural, spiritual capital of the country. He should have been in the temple. He should have been wearing robes. He should have been in church. He had the right to be there. But he came from the wilderness. Most scholars think he was a part of a Jewish sect called the Essenes. The Essenes separated themselves from society. They lived out by the Dead Sea. They wore really bad clothes, which you're going to see in a minute. John took up that custom. And they ate raw food, like locusts and bugs. And so John was living in this community, kind of away from his family, by the Dead Sea. I've actually spent some time in the Dead Sea. It's pretty cool. You float, you don't sink. That part's fun. And it's very, very barren. Um, I can say, having been there multiple times, and as I lived there, I took a lot of Americans there, kind of the general consensus is nobody would want to live here. It really is wilderness. (laughs) really is wilderness. And so he's out in the wilderness. And on top of that, the wilderness in Jewish thought was like the enemy's territory. God was making the world beautiful. The good place was the Garden of Eden. The bad place is the wilderness. So John is like out in left field. He's far away. He's not with his family. He's not living up to his name. He's not living up to his lineage. He's part of this, we would say, cult. Part of this cult. I mean, imagine if you had a kid and they're like, Mom and Dad, I'm going to go live in the desert, eat bugs, and not wear clothes. We would be like, I'm a little concerned. And then they're like, oh, wow, by the way, I'm going to be a voice of God. We'd be really concerned, right? We'd be like, "Ah, you might not be talking to God. Um, So he's out there, and he, he comes back. He comes back. It says he appears, and he has this message. Repent means change your mind or change your perspective, for the kingdom of God's come near. God's at work. God's active. It's been 400 years of silence, and he comes back with this message that, Right now, God is not silent anymore. Right now, God is at work. He's close to you. He's doing something in our country. It's finally time. It's finally time. And these were people desperate to hear those words, desperate for the silence to be over, desperate for there to be liberation, desperate for there to be redemption. And so these were words of good news. And then it says John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist, so he's pretty dope. And his food was locust, wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins, and they're baptized by him in the Jordan River. He's kind of this wild, I don't even know what to say, like spectator, like come watch him, just see what he's like. Go check out that guy out there. I'm going to go take a two-day journey into the desert to see this John guy. And everybody is going out to see him. And he has this message of hope. But the first point I just want to make tonight is everything about John was unexpected and wrong. He grew up in the temple, 
but he wasn't found there. He went to the wilderness. He had the lineage, the patronage to be the high priest, but instead he becomes this guy with camel's hair and a leather belt. John kind of embodies this. God works in unexpected ways. He works with unexpected people, people we would not think of. Another way to say it maybe is John's an example that God works at the margins. The Jews were expecting God to come in the temple, but God came in the wilderness. God came in an unexpected way. And Matthew is preparing us for this. He's preparing us for the unexpected. He's saying, good news, he's coming, but it's not going to be what you think. It's not going to look like what you think. And then John had a message for people. And I want us to read his message that we get to see in Matthew's gospel. And it's a message to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which are kind of like the religious leaders of the day. But then I also want to look at the rest of John's message, because sometimes I think we kind of put John the Baptist in a box if we grew up in church. When he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. John had a very harsh word for the religious leaders, but John's message was a message of hope. He kind of goes on, he says, the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one of you who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John kind of had these harsh words for the religious leaders of the day. But John's message wasn't actually that harsh. I want to read you John's message because we actually have a copy of it. It's in Isaiah 40. And sometimes I think we think of John the Baptist because he's kind of rugged and authentic. We think of him kind of as like the bully preacher, as like, man, he's just fire and brimstone. And part of the reason we think that is because what we have a record of is his conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But I want you to maybe change your mind a little bit. John actually preached in such a way that the whole country, the whole country was coming out to him. And I want to argue that John actually had a very different message than what we actually tend to think. He had a very harsh message for those in religious authority. But for everyday people, John gave a message of hope. And I want to read these words over you in Isaiah 40. These would have been the words of John to the people of Israel. And these are the words that prepared the way for Jesus. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her that she has served her term and her penalty is over. Some translations say her silence is over. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people will see together that the Lord has spoken. And then we have these words in Isaiah 40, the heart of John's message. A voice cries out 
what shall I say? What shall I say? And this is the answer in Isaiah 40. This was John's message that led to people coming out to be baptized. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary in his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint." See, John's message was a message of hope. It was a message that lifted up the human spirit. The message that actually prepares our heart and prepares other people's hearts for Jesus are words of hope. One writer in scripture says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. John didn't come bullying people. He came with a message of hope and kindness. And for us, I think the takeaway is that if we bring words of hope, we are preparing people for Jesus. John brought a word of hope. But I don't want us to miss what he said to the Sadducees and Pharisees, because I think that's important too. So he calls them a brood of vipers, no matter what translation you have or how much Greek gymnastics you do, it's a nasty insult. He calls them snakes. And he basically has this message of it's not okay to pretend like you're righteous. It's not okay to pretend like you're better. And he calls them this brood of vipers who told you to flee. And I don't want us to miss this. John was baptizing Jews. And what's weird about that for us, we probably think like as Christians, like, oh yeah, you just baptize them. That's what you do when you're making a spiritual commitment. But Jews didn't get baptized. Jews never got baptized, actually. There's no place in Judaism. If you read your entire Old Testament, there's no place where God's like, get baptized. They didn't do that. So this is like a different thing. The people who did get baptized were actually people that were Greek or non-Jewish people that decided to convert and become Jewish. So if you were not Jewish and you wanted to become Jewish, you had to have a little surgery, circumcision, and you had to get baptized. That's how you became a Jew. And so John has flipped this on its head. He's having a bunch of Jews get baptized, basically saying, if you think you're Jewish and you want to actually be Jewish, if you think you're in God's family and you want to actually be in God's family, you have to be baptized. That's why there's this line in here about, don't say we have Abraham as our father. Don't say I'm already Jewish. He's telling Jews, people who have been in church their whole life, people who have the whole Bible memorized often, Pharisees and Sadducees, the elite of the elite spiritually, the ones that never miss a service. He's saying just because you are Jewish, just because you say Abraham's my dad, that doesn't mean you're in the family. In fact, if you want to enter the new family, this new thing God's doing, you're going to have to get baptized. He's saying there's something else for these Jews, for these religious Jews. And it's not enough to say, it's in my family. It's not enough to say, I attended all the services. It's not even enough to be super holy and super righteous. He's saying your lineage and your good works don't actually bring you into the family of God. 
And that's why he's so furious with these Pharisees. Not because they weren't trying spiritually. He was furious because they didn't believe that they needed to change to belong into God's kingdom. They thought they were good enough. And so John's message was, no, your good works, your spiritual upbringing, your church attendance, your Bible reading plan, none of these are enough. Don't tell me Abraham's your father. Don't tell me you went to church three times last month. Don't tell me how many service projects you've been on. That's not what makes you in the family of God. And so he's baptizing these Jews who are already Jews, and he's saying there's a different kind of conversion coming. I'm baptizing you with water, but there's somebody who's coming who's going to baptize you with fire. And it's either going to purify you or it's going to destroy you. It's going to sift people. And that was the message John had for us. And as we read it, he says in Matthew 11, Jesus gives us his take on John. And Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? I guess he's making fun of his cousin's clothing. Um, If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it's written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, He is the Elijah who has come, which was that prophecy in Malachi that an Elijah would come. What John's saying here is really radical. He's actually saying, Jesus, Jesus is saying, John is the end. He's the last prophet for Israel. He's saying the old has ended. And John is the greatest of that old line. He's the greatest because his task was to prepare the way for Jesus. He didn't do any miracles. In fact, he's the only Old Testament prophet that we have that didn't do any miracles. But he's the greatest, but he's the old. In the new, we would say he's the least in the kingdom of heaven. So John has this word of hope, but then he has this word that the old is passing away, guys. The old way of doing things is passing away. And the new is here. This would have been hard for a Jew to hear. This is John saying to them, his prophetic word is, Israel is no longer God's plan for the world. In fact, he's doing a new thing. And you can be a part of this new Israel. You can be a part of this new thing. That is his message of hope. And that is his preparation for the way of Jesus. So that leaves us a little bit with what do we learn from this eccentric character that prepares the way for Jesus? You know, starting next week, all the verses after this in the Gospel of Matthew are going to be the life of Jesus. This is the only character Matthew kind of takes a break and he says, I, I, I got to tell you guys about this back character. I got to tell you about the prologue, the one who's preparing the way for Jesus. 
So what do we learn? Matthew's gospel is all about discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. And Matthew actually kind of postures John as Jesus' first disciple. And so if we are serious about following Jesus, we have to look to John at what is John's example If John is this picture of the first one to recognize Jesus, the first one to follow him, the first one to say, he is the way, then what does it look like to be like John? What do we learn from him? I think we can learn a couple things. One, I think we learn that we are going to be called to be a voice in the wilderness. We're going to be called to be a voice on the margins. It's not about taking over Jerusalem. It's not about the centralized power. The kingdom of God is on the margins. It's where you don't expect it. It's with who you don't expect it. It's not the people you would expect. And so that's the first step. And then I think it's a message of hope. We are called as disciples, just like John, to prepare the way for people. Matthew's gospel ends with this great commission, which is you go and make disciples. Matthew, this entire story is trying to convince you to be a disciple, and then he ends with make disciples. He ends right back here at the beginning. John is what? He's preparing the way for Jesus, and we are called to prepare the way for Jesus in the friendships in your life, in the social circles, in your family, You have the ministry of preparing the way for Jesus with a message of hope. You have a message of hope. We don't bash, we don't guilt people in. We give them a word of hope. You can be strengthened. That was John's message. You can soar when you're tired. You can be lifted up out of your mess. We're called to bring a message of hope. That's actually what prepares hearts to be disciples. We're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples of Jesus. People want to follow his way of life when they have hope, when they see hope in it. And the reason why people say yes to Jesus is because they see him as true, good, and beautiful. And so our message of hope is going to be a voice in the wilderness. It's going to shatter the silence in their life. Maybe they've never heard from God, and we're going to shatter that silence. It's going to be a message of hope. And then finally, if we are following John as a model of discipleship, we're not just going to shatter the silence. We're not just going to be a voice of hope. We are going to call people, and we ourselves are going to be called to a life beyond earning our way there, a life beyond being in the right tribe, whatever it is, I know that there's probably no Jewish people here, so nobody here tonight thinks you're righteous with God because Abraham's your father. But we all have examples of why we think we're righteous with God. We all have examples. We all have ways that we lean on certain things thinking that's what's going to justify me. And the call of John was to these people who thought they were in the family to actually get in the new family. And so we have a ministry to those who think they know God, but don't actually know God. And so tonight, the challenge is really quite simple. If we are going to follow Jesus, Matthew says it begins right here. It begins with a prepared heart. It begins with a voice of hope in the wilderness of life. And we 
some of us here, if we're just being honest, we need to hear that voice of hope. We've been told for far too long, we don't measure up, we're not good enough, we can't stop sinning, whatever it is. We've been given a Christianity that's anything but hope. And we need the encouragement. We need the hope. We need the message that you are tired and you can be strengthened. You can be soaring. Your life doesn't have to be mediocre. And some of us, we've heard that message and we need to become that voice in the wilderness. We need to realize that we have to be committed to shattering the silence. There's people in our lives that have not heard God's voice their entire life. You can shatter the silence. You can be the voice of hope. You can prepare the way for Jesus. See, in John, John was a witness to the light. He wasn't the light. He's very clear about that. He said, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. It has nothing to do with how good or how righteous John is. John's just a witness. He's just testifying to what he's seen. And that's our role, to be a voice of hope. We testify to what we've seen. And if we are going to be a follower of Jesus, the invitation is to do that. In fact, from the very beginning, those who chose to follow Jesus were invited and challenged by Jesus to be like him as his voice, as his hands, as his feet. It wasn't a moral club. It wasn't about, follow me, and I want you to believe these five things, and then we're going to take a quiz. And if you get the answers right, then I'm going to say, you're an A-plus disciple, Peter, B-minus Judas. No, it's not like that. It was a challenge and an invitation to actually be the voice, the witness to the community of Israel. And the challenge for us is to be that voice and that witness to the communities we're a part of and to do it as a messenger of hope. And I can't emphasize that enough. Too often the church has not been a message of hope, but a message of judgment. A message of hope. We can have a city without homelessness. A message of hope. We can have a world without this brokenness. A message of hope. We can have a world without drug addiction. A message of hope. We can have a world without kids not having lunches. Such a world is possible. It's a message of hope. It's a dream for humanity, and it prepares people for Jesus. They see the vision of it, and they say, I want that. That's why people went to Jesus. That's why people went to John. He wasn't compelling them. He wasn't begging them to get church attendance up. They flooded to him because he had a real message. He had a real hope for humanity, and we are meant to carry that hope in our hearts. And for a few of us tonight, we just need to meditate on what hope am I carrying? Am I the bringer of good news? Am I the cynic or am I the optimist? Am I the bringer of good news to anybody? Do people like being around me? Am I more joyful than people who don't have Jesus? Do I bring, what do I bring to people? What am I carrying? Because we are charged like John to prepare the way for Jesus. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for Matthew. Thank you so much that so many copies of Matthew have been preserved that we can read these firsthand accounts of the life of Jesus. It's such a gift. Lord, you know people around the world, and 
I have friends, Lord, that would give anything to get their hands on a copy of Matthew. And Lord, as we, as we read these words and ask what it means to follow you, I pray tonight that you, Holy Spirit, would put a spark in our souls. Whatever it is, whether it's being your voice and shattering the silence, whether it's a message of hope instead of judgment, whether it's calling people out of religion into relationship, whatever it is, Lord, that you've sparked in us tonight, I pray that your word would be planted in our soul and lead us to change. For those who are here that, that need to go through that process of repenting and turning, I pray, Lord, that you would bear fruit in their lives worthy of repentance. It's in Jesus' name, amen.